Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, actually, beginning in verse 5, he says, while exercising our faith, we're to become morally excellent. As we become morally excellent, we're also to increase in knowledge. As we build up perseverance, excuse me, uh, as we increase in knowledge, we're to develop self-control. While we are developing self-control, we will build up perseverance. As we build up perseverance, we will also be growing in godliness. While growing in godliness, we're to add brotherly kindness. While adding brotherly kindness, we will magnify Christian love. And Peter says that if these traits are ours and are increasing in our lives, we will build a life on Christ that will be productive and useful to the glory of God. So to build this life on Christ that we've been talking about for several weeks now, we've got to be first saved by staking out, if you will, staking out God's property. If you are a child of God, you belong to Him. Amen? That's right. You are God's property. And how does that happen? It begins with Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whoever will call upon the Lord shall be saved. And so we begin by staking out the foundation of God's property. We start by laying the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Then, as God's power comes into your life, virtue, moral excellence becomes necessary. And that will enable you to separate from the world while remaining effective in the world. That's important. But then, as you grow in the knowledge of truth, the Bible says that we are set free, if you will, to be a positive influence for God in the world that we live in, and that's called sanctification. So we begin with salvation, and then we move on to separation, and then we continue with sanctification. Now, many Christians stop right there. Many Christians are saved. They are being separated from the world while remaining effective in it. They are sanctifying themselves with the word of truth. But today, God wants you to consider something else. God wants you to consider adding self-control, which is the building block of service. Now, in your Bibles, if you will turn back to 10, page 1018 in the Bibles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to hear from the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the church at Corinth to instruct them on the value and importance of self-control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, the apostle writes to the believers there, saying, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. Temperate is an old-fashioned word that means exercising self-control. It's an old-fashioned word that means being disciplined. 
So everyone who competes for the prize is exercising self-control in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, this is the way I run. Not with uncertainty. This is the way I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So what's Paul doing here? Paul is comparing self-control to what we know as the Olympic Games. You know that in the Winter Games, we actually get to watch. We, we get to see athletes ski and sled and uh, skate to win gold medals. You know that in the Summer Games, we get to watch. We get to see athletes run, jump, ride, swim, dive, throw, lift, wrestle, and cycle their way to being honored as the best in their sport. Now, here's what you don't see. What you don't see is the extensive preparation and the incredible discipline that is required to compete at the Olympic level. Gold medalists, silver medalists, bronze medalists, all stand atop their winner's platform for one reason. And that is because they have exercised self-control. Now, for the Christian, self-control is the power to control our fleshly desires and to exercise God's will in our life. Those who win in the Christian life are those who understand and exercise self-control. But they also understand that only God can provide it. They also understand that it is a process. If you think for a moment, yeah, I like that self-control stuff. I like that. So I'm going to add self-control to my life. If you're thinking that way, friend, you're going to fall flat on your face. Because it takes more than just a desire to be self-controlled. It takes faith. It takes moral excellence. It takes knowledge of the truth before you can actually exercise self-control. You've got to begin with those things first. I mean, think about this. I am sure that there are days that the Olympian doesn't want to get out of bed. Amen? But he or she has the self-control to do it anyway, right? And to go and exercise and prepare. I'm sure that there are days that the Olympian wants to eat stuff that's not on their training diet. Amen? But they have the self-control to say, no, I'm not going to eat that. Why? Why? Because they are willing to train in such a way that they might win. Do you want to win at the Christian life? Just like Olympians train and discipline themselves and work hard to bring glory in their sport, we Christians also must be willing to discipline ourselves for the glory of God. But 
there's no doubt that there's going to be a big struggle when it comes to self-control. The struggle for self-control is real, Brother Hal. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 23, the Bible says this. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and get this, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's God's desire, friend, that you be set apart entirely. Body, soul, and spirit. God has created us as spiritual beings. Do you know that? You are a spiritual being, but you are put into a physical body. Does everybody understand that this morning? You are a spiritual being inside of a physical body. But Paul said spirit, soul, and body. So what is the soul? Well, the soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions that God gives us to govern these bodies we live in. Our mind is where we think. Our will is where we decide. And, of course, emotions are where we feel. But one of our most difficult struggles in the Christian life is in this area of our will. Regardless of how much you want to live a life set apart for God, you want to do what you want to do. Can I get an amen? We want to do what we want to do, and sometimes we'll even rationalize wrong actions so that we can feel better while we do what we want to do. Even a Christian's will can be out of whack. Even a Christian's will can be out of control. We say things like, you know, I don't have time to serve the Lord. A Christian might say, I can't teach. A Christian might say, I'm just not good with kids. They might say, I know God wants me to serve for his glory, but I don't feel like it. Or, I know God says that I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Those are out-of-control wills. And when the will is out of control, there will always, always be a struggle. But the emotions can cause us to struggle as well. Emotions get out of control. And when emotions get out of control, what happens is, is something we call lust. Now, lust is not just a sexual emotion. When emotions go unchecked, when emotions get out of control, you may experience things like greed. I want it and I want it now. You may experience anger. A little bit of a temper tantrum. Anybody thrown one of those lately? I do it going through Athens traffic all the time. If y'all can only see me, you say, he ain't my pastor. Amen. I throw me a little temper tantrum. Amen. I get angry. Why? Because my emotions are out of, out of control. My emotions are unchecked. We might um, experience unforgiveness. No way I'm forgiving them. 
They hurt me too bad. I'm not forgiving them. That's because your emotions are unchecked. Uh, perhaps jealousy. I want what they want. Why? Because your emotions are out of control. Maybe it's indifference. I don't really care what they do. Right? you got unchecked emotions. But when our emotions are unrestrained, we become very undisciplined as Christians, and we lack self-control. And when we lack self-control, something really, really detrimental happens. What happens is our Christian testimony to the world becomes ineffective. So the Bible mentions self-control a lot. Controlling the soul, controlling the will, controlling our emotions. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, I know it's a struggle. It's a struggle to accomplish self-control. Our wills and our emotions, man, they're difficult to control. So how in heaven's name are we going to do it? How can we develop self-control? control well because first of all because God lives in you as a believer the Bible says that we have the ability the ability say ability we have the ability to produce what is known as the fruit of the spirit the Bible says that the fruit of the spirit that is the evidences that God is in you is love God's love Joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience. Boy, that's the one I'm struggling with, amen? Patience, the goodness of God, the kindness of the Lord, faithfulness, gentleness, and get this last one, self-control. But as Christians, we have the ability to develop self-control. But let me tell you something else a believer has. In fact, I'll tell you something that I believe every human being has. And that is a conscience. You may see an evil person. You may say, man, that person ain't got no conscience. Oh, they got a conscience. They just ain't listening to it. Amen? Well, even with a believer, a believer also, of course, has a conscience. And the Bible says that your conscience is in one of two conditions. Your conscience is either clear you have a clear conscience because you're living according to the principles of God. Or you have a seared conscience because you're giving into sinful living. You're one or the other. You're either having a clear conscience or a seared conscience. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, the purpose of my instruction is that all Christians would be filled with love that comes from from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. So a clear conscience enables us to be filled with love for God and love for others, while a seared conscience has no feelings or concerns for God or other people, and they're perfectly willing to succumb to sinful living. So, friend, listen, you've got to decide today. You've got to decide if you're going to let your conscience be clear and clean or seared and sinful. Every day of your life, you're going to have to pick up and ask yourself, am I going to allow my conscience to be clear and clean or seared and sinful? And then after you answer yourself, amen, because we answer ourselves, 
you've got to ask yourself another question. What am I prepared to do about it? Friends, I want to tell you that when we submit fully to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life, when we allow Jesus to be who he's supposed to be, which is Lord, boss, amen, of our life, you will begin to experience God-driven self-control. Y'all get that? God-driven self-control. And that's what the Lord is seeking for us. So you say, Bill, how in heaven's name am I going to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to provide you with six ways that as you walk with God, you might achieve self-control. Number one, give up control. Give up control. At my house, we have seven remotes. At home, I'm the boss of the remotes. I'm the king. I'm in control as long as Janet lets me. Amen? But to be truly self-controlled, I must surrender the remote control of my life and place it in the hand of God. To achieve self-control in my life, I've got to come to the place where I say, I am no longer in charge of this thing I call my life. I give you all the control. I am not the Lord of my life. We've got to come to this place where you say, I am not the master of my way. It's all you. To be self-controlled, we must confirm that God is in control. The popular song out now by Lauren Daigle, and that song kind of goes like this. When you don't move the mountains, I don't know how, anyway, it goes, when you, don't, when you move, don't move the mountains, when you don't part the waters, when you don't move the mountains that I'm needing you to move, when you don't part the waters that I want you to part, when you don't answer my prayers the way I want them answered, I'm going to trust in you. With all my heart, I'm going to trust in you. You've got to confirm that God is in control of every facet of your life. But here's another way that you can walk with God and achieve self-control, and that is sometimes we've got to ask for forgiveness. The best way for you and I to get a clear conscience is often to deal with those who we've wronged. Deal with those who we've wronged. Your conscience will never be completely clear until you say to that person that you've wronged, I was wrong. And I am sorry. Even through the hurt. Even through the rejection. If you want to walk with God, you must be willing to forgive. Here's another way. Flee temptation. Listen up. When you see sin coming, duck. Y'all get that? When you sense temptation, go the opposite way. Pay attention. You know your weaknesses. 
You know the areas of your life that are most vulnerable? So whatever it is that gives Satan a foothold in your life, friends, stay away from it. Go the opposite direction. Every temptation that comes against you and I comes with a very small window where we might make the right decision. You may only have a few seconds to make the right choice before that temptation sets in. I want to encourage you this morning, learn to escape. Learn to tuck your tail and run the opposite direction of that temptation. But here's another way to walk with God and achieve self-control, and that is adopt high standards. If you're going to have the self-control I'm talking about this morning, you've got to make up your mind in advance. If you're going to have this kind of self-control, you've got to make up your mind that you're going to win before the temptation comes. You've got to be ready for it. You've got to decide, okay, if this happens, which way am I going? If that temptation hits me again, which way am I going? How can I escape? How can I stay away? What is the opposite direction? Friend, we've got to adopt the standards of God's word so that we know what to do when the temptations come. Here's another one. Resist the bait. This world that you and I are living in is trying to attract us with all kinds of activities that want to control us. Things like alcohol, pornography, the internet, satellite TV programming, commercials, even some prescription medicines are designed to get you on the hook so that they can have control over your life. So the lure of sin is all around us. You can't escape the lure. But you can refuse to take the bait. This last one is last indeed, but certainly is most important. If you want to walk with God and achieve self-control, can I just encourage you to fall in love with Jesus? We've got, as Christians, we have to be in love with Jesus more than anything else in this world. We've got to love him more than anything. See, if you love Christ the most, then you won't settle for less. But you've got to fall in love with your Savior. Fall in love with your Lord. And friends, I know that self-control is not an easy part of Christian life. There are times when my emotions get out of whack, when my will wants to take over. But when I strive to walk with him, refusing to take the bait this world offers, refusing to, to succumb to the temptation, then I find that I can develop self-control. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this message that God wants us to consider self-control, which is the building block of service. So you might say, okay, Bill, what in the world does self-control have to do with service? 
Well, the outcome of God's control over your life is that. It is service. See, when you are in control of your life, the only thing that usually comes out of it is selfishness. But when God is in control and you're allowing him to control your mind, you're allowing him to control your will, you're allowing him to control your emotions, then you are released to serve others in his name. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatian church. In verse 13 of chapter 5, uh, Paul wrote, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom. Only do not use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says after you're saved, man, you're free. You are set free. But listen to what you're not free to do. You're not free to do anything you want. Paul says our freedom in Christ leads us to love one another through service. We want to do things for others. We want to do things for the lost. We want to do things for children. We want to make a difference in their life. We're set free to do that. And I believe that the greatest service to God that we can do is serving children. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, most people who make a decision to follow Jesus do so under the age of 18. If you have reached the age of 18 and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, statistics say, that it's very unlikely you ever will. Number two, affecting the lives of children for the cause of Jesus Christ is the most rewarding and positive way to literally change the future, to make a difference in the future. The greatest service we can do for God is to serve children. And so if you can say no, if you can say no to serving children, one of two things is probably true about you. One, God's not called you to serve children. And while he doesn't call all people to serve children, listen carefully, are you listening? He does call most. And the second thing that is may be true about you if you can say no to serving children is that you're so in control of your own life you can't hear the clarion call of God upon your life to serve him. Which is it for you? All I know is this, y'all. When God is in you, when God is in us, and when he is in control, we will become influencers when he is in us and in control, we will make an impact. When he's in us and when he's in control of us, we will make a difference. You ain't got to be some master theologian. 
Just be a servant of Jesus. You ain't got to be loaded with money. Just be a servant. You don't have to be perfect. Goodness, no. Just be a servant. Just be a servant. Just be unashamedly committed to Jesus. Just, just be living under the control of your Lord. Friend, are you looking for something to fulfill your life? I've got the answer for you today. Serve others. Serve others in the name of Jesus. So today, will you say, Lord, I've heard you. And yes, Lord, I will serve the kingdom of God. I will serve other people. I will serve my neighbor as your word instructs. If so, he says, add to your faith moral excellence. And add to your moral excellence knowledge of the truth. To your knowledge, add self-control, which manifests itself in service. Salvation, separation, sanctification, and service. To be self-controlled, you've got to come to the place where, where you confirm that God is in control. Friend, will you unselfishly give God control of your life today? You may need to do it for the first time. Coming to Christ by faith, receiving salvation. But maybe you've done that and you've separated yourself from the world and you've been in the word and you've been sanctifying yourself, but if you're honest, you've been in control of your life, not God. However he leads you to respond this morning, I pray that you have the faith to do it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word that speaks the unadulterated, crystal clear truth into our lives. Father, there are so many areas of my life that I often feel are out of control. 